0: Good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network on the 13th of March, 2023. We're going to lead off with some uh, headlines um, today. Hey, let's see. Um, uh, Don't know if you've already talked about this, but the governor of Minnesota wants to make Minnesota a sanctuary state um, for children seeking um, to transition from their biological gender to their preferred gender. I'm rephrasing that. (laughs) Sanctuary states um, are on the rise. California is certainly leading the effort to become a sanctuary state in relationship to this. Um, Yes, it is on our radar and yes, it is of great and grave concern. Minnesota is also a sanctuary state um, in relationship to um, abortion access and services. Let's see. um, Someone else here uh, asking for comment. Um, oh, about the fitness of American young people to serve in the military. Yeah, this is actually um, a real issue. Uh, and An incredibly high percentage of today's young people ages 18 to 25 are unfit for military service. I mean, I certainly would have been um, when I was in that age cohort. Uh, and so if you, and you think about the young people who you know, uh, who are in the cohort that would, if necessary, comprise a fighting force here for the United States of America. Um, but I also have to acknowledge and recognize that uh, the the possibility of us entering into the kind of conventional warfare that would require us to have um, a fighting force, the the numbers of which we have deployed to other places um, via the draft in, in years past, right? I'm, I certainly hope that we are not on the verge of such a global event that would require that kind of military personnel but yes your point is absolutely true and well taken uh and um and then uh bob saying hey maybe when um adam is back uh, uh, adam holtz reference there from focus on the families plugged in. Maybe go back and take another look at the Oscar winners um, on Friday with Adam. Yep. We will uh, in all likelihood do that because there'll be a whole lot more to say about it by then. Uh, Here are some headlines. The University of Alabama is um, now a basketball school. Yep. This was selection Sunday, apparently, in the NCAA (laughs) men's basketball tournament. And the number one overall seed is Alabama, which, you know, For those of us in the Southeastern Conference, we think of Alabama as a football school, but apparently it's also now a basketball school. So there you go. Uh, The NCAA um, tournament is always one that people across the country are wildly interested in. So that is happening. The U.S. Congress unanimously. I know. I know. Go ahead and grab onto that word there for just a moment. The U.S. Congress unanimously passed a bill requiring the Biden administration to declassify all information regarding the origins of COVID-19, including any links to China's Wuhan Virology Lab. Uh, And so if the president signs it, which if he doesn't, if he doesn't sign something that Congress unanimously passed, everybody will be upset. Um, But if he signs it, then um, the Biden administration would submit those unclassified reports to Congress. um, And uh, the only thing that they would be able to redact would be, information protecting sources and methods so it would be pretty comprehensive um jim and simsbury simsbury is saying hey ukraine is a pretty interesting thread to pull um yes uh that is an interesting thread always an interesting thread to pull and certainly prayers extended today in an ongoing way for the people of ukraine um there are um Yeah, we'll probably pick that up a little bit tomorrow with Luke Moon. We like to cover international headlines with him, although uh, we will certainly be centering our time and attention tomorrow with Luke on um, on things related to the Middle East as Beijing, China, has uh, brokered a relationship between Saudi Arabia and Iran, which is something that the United States really would have and could have never pulled off. So China on the rise globally in terms of the brokering of quote unquote peace. That's just an interesting, um, uh, interesting consideration. And then, yes, for those of you concerned about an update on Haiti, you've been reading headlines. Um, Haiti is a failed state. The 11.5 million Haitians absolutely at risk. Um, Port-au-Prince, 70 percent of it now now run by gangs. Um, hospitals there at risk of closing because they can 't tell the difference between the police and armed gang members when they when they show up and hospitals you know hospitals are run by um, Christian organizations around the world they 're all charitable um, hospitals and they are all at risk of closing because of the violence and that would leave the people of Haiti utterly abandoned in terms of uh, in terms of those things. Uh, maybe when Jim Dennison is on, we will talk about this issue because Haiti is literally the most evangelized patch of real estate in the world. And yet it is uh, it has fallen into total and utter chaos. So let's pick up that with Jim Dennison when he's on later this week. But right now, Dr. Linda Mental is gonna join us. We're gonna talk about the problem of belonging on college campuses. If you know college uh, age people, then you know... That we have a crisis of belonging. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: This is my fight.
0: Dr. Linda Mental is back. You know her from the Dr. Linda Mental Show here on the Faith Radio Network, and you can find her at drlindamental.com. Good morning, Linda.
2: Good morning. Great to hear your voice again.
0: All right. You read a headline in the Chronicle of Higher Education that said everyone is talking about belonging, but what does it really mean? You are answering that question for us in a blog at drlindamental.com called The Problem of Belonging on College Campuses, and I thought it would be fun for you to share with us, um, you know how you would answer that question. Everyone's talking about belonging, but what does that really mean?
2: Yeah, so belonging is a is a key need for all of us, and it's part of what we really value about being part of the kingdom of God. Right? We belong to Christ. We belong to the body of Christ. Uh, you've just been talking about different places in the globe, and. We have that commonality with Christians all over the world. That's a group that we belong to. So belonging first to Christ and then belonging to the body of Christ is a huge need that we all have, and it's fulfilled in a great way, uh, hopefully through your church belonging as well and some of the small groups that you belong to. But there's a real problem on college campuses that they can't figure out how to do that. And they know that it has a lot to do with retaining students And having students, you know, speak very positively about their their institution and hopefully draw more students to it. So, you know, I'm a little skeptical. I think this is driven in part by two things. I think one is that it's driven in part by we need to retain students. And there is a a cliff that they talk about in higher education where the number of students for all colleges is going to drop off uh, quite, quite significantly in the next few years in part because of the, the lack of um, students that we're having with uh, population the way it is and and the interest in technology and maybe other ways to attain an, uh, a vocation or another way to attain a, uh, something that you do in life that's meaningful. But the second one is there's been a lot of controversy, as you know, Carmen, around the whole concept of diversity. And so you know, part of me wonders, and this was in the article as well, is this just another way to reframe a less politically charged topic and have an inclusive um label on it rather than a diversity label. So I'm I'm okay with that if that's it, because they're trying to get at how to, if they try to get at how to bring people together, that would be significant. Unfortunately, what we're seeing with a lot of these movements is that it just further and further divides people into specific identities. And, you know, it doesn't do the harmony thing, which is bringing people together on a common thread. But it's so significant that in, in your town, in, in Nashville, uh, Belmont University hired a vice president for Hope, Unity, and Belonging, which is an interesting title. And the High, Chronicle of Higher Ed predicts that more universities will do this because they're very interested in looking at what does it take to not only recruit someone to a college campus, but keep them active in a college campus, on a college campus.
0: I know. That 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 would be a fun job, would it not?
2: Yeah, it really
0: would be. I mean, when you think about um, if you were serving in that position, um, you know, seeking to engender, provide, point people to hope, unity, and belonging on a college campus, I mean, the approach to that would be be challenging um, in the context of a world where people are not necessarily seeking those from a Christian worldview. Right, right. Like hope, unity, and and belonging— those definitely have different meanings depending on your worldview.
2: Yeah, and that's obviously those are great words for uh, the Christian community. And I think part of what has been so disheartening for so many of us that had kids in in universities and colleges is that we saw in the past decade we've seen an erosion of the uh, you know the the groups that used to be very meaningful to kids on college campuses who are Christians. So uh, there have been many universities that have kicked groups like crew off of their campuses or have um, marginalized the fellowship of christian athletes and challenged whether that's a you know a discriminatory group so a lot of the things that christian kids going to secular universities could do was be immediately get uh, plugged into a belonging community that not only uh, you know supported their values, but encouraged their growth in their spiritual life. And I remember years ago when I was taking our son to one of the universities, they had someone from UCLA come in and give us a little bit of talk. And he said that if a a Christian kid doesn't get connected within the first 72 hours of a secular university, there's a high percentage that they'll get lost in their faith. And I, I really took that to heart and thought, okay, so the message there is, connect them early, help them to find the affinity groups that, uh, you know, have Christian students in them so that they can not only be part of a group, but they can be encouraged in their faith on campuses, which are often very, you know, not supportive of Christian values. And I think the same thing has happened with conservative speakers on campuses. They have not been welcomed. So it's just so crazy to me that in a, you know, and when they're talking diversity Is it diversity of opinion, diversity of thought? Uh, That kind of diversity has really been silenced across many, many college campuses where you can't even invite a conservative speaker without a big protest. A lot of times the administration backs down. And yet these are the very places we're supposed to be helping people critically think uh, give a variety of ideas, and then allow students to, you know, think through those ideas and and have some foundation for how to think and what to think is is part of what comes out of that process. But you have to expose them to different points of view, not just one. And I think a lot of what has happened on our college campuses is it's become these big ideological beds where only one viewpoint is allowed and it's a very narrow viewpoint that often does not support christian values so that's a problem yeah i mean in
0: my own experience um i i absolutely a- am an example of what you just described i went to a very secular undergraduate institution the university of florida it was huge i mean you know mm-hmm. it was it was yep. huge then it's even bigger now um and because i immediately aligned with um Young Life and having had a positive experience of Young Life in high school, I became um, a part of the the college fellowship of people who then, you know, we became the Young Life leaders for the high schools there in Gainesville, Florida. That that was my community of belonging. Um, didn't matter mm-hmm. that, you know, I wasn't in a sorority. In fact, that would have competed in many ways with, um, you know, with my experiences and opportunity to really spend time investing in in ministry, um, and so I, I completely 100% agree with your number one uh, key thing here, which is that getting young people plugged into a belonging community, no matter the institution or organization that we're talking about, um, that's that's really where, as Christians, we not only find our friends, but we find the confidence to stand in a rising tide of secularism, no matter where we are.
2: Yeah. And you have a place where you can discuss these issues that you're being presented with that are really cultural engagement issues. And you have to have an apologetic for your faith, which so many of our young people have been raised in youth groups where they were entertained and they really weren't discipled. And that's a big concern, which is why I think these groups are so essential. So we need to continue to fight on the legal levels uh, for these groups to exist for these campus you know um, Christian groups to be able to have a right to freely express themselves and even meet in on the campus, I mean so many of them were kicked off of college campuses and it's it 's just mind blowing to me in America to think that your Christian faith is a threat and is being reframed as something discriminatory towards people when you when Muslim groups are allowed to form on campuses and other faiths other than the Christian group, so there have been a lot of attorneys fighting for that right on college campuses and if you're a parent of a student who goes to a secular campus you should you should make your 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 voice known to that campus because they want your they want your tuition they want your dollars and if a group of parents could organize and say this just should not be allowed and put pressure on the administrators that would be a good thing. So I don't usually advocate for um, all those kinds of things, but I think in this case, it's very important because this is a time when your young person is forming their identity. They're figuring out who they are. It's the first time for a lot of them they've been away from home, and they're very, very influenced at this stage of development in terms of who they are and what their identity is going to be. And they need to be surrounded by people who say, your identity is in Christ Jesus and because of that, here's the way that we have to respond to these issues that are facing us in our culture, and let's get together, let's problem solve, let's think, let's pray for wisdom, let's support one another, let's lift one another up, let's be bold in our speech, not, and, you know, do it, speak the truth in love and kindness, which we haven't always seen either on the Christian side, but we want to be kind, loving, compassionate, and these are all the goals that these, these, that these offices of belonging are trying to get, and I, I think they're just blinded to the fact that if you would allow the Christian faith to influence these communities, you would see that. And we're seeing that all over the college campuses right now that are experiencing an awakening or revival or whatever you want to call this right now. But it's a move mm-hmm. of God. And it's characterized by kindness and compassion yeah. and love. And that's Absolutely. what these universities desperately need.
0: Hey, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental in a moment. Um, if your mother in law told you that she thinks you were spoiling your children, How would you respond? Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about a way to test your positive or negative outlook next. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen. All available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit myfaithradio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen.
2: I belong to God. I
0: belong to Jesus. We're talking with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at the Dr. Linda Mental Show, drlindamental.com. There you will find posted a piece entitled, The Way to Test Your Positive or Negative Outlook. What's the bottom line, Linda?
2: Well, we need to try to have one and uh, that isn't always easy to do when we're faced with a lot of challenges and even these little tiny challenges during the day, like when somebody cuts in front of you in the grocery store line or the the comment you made about your mother-in-law says something that maybe you bristle with. And the reason this is so important, Carmen, is because our thoughts... When we have a thought about when something happens, if our thought goes negative, that really does impact our mood. And so we're trying to you know, do what Jesus says, which is renew our mind every day, trying to stay positive, hopeful, maybe looking for the upside in a situation and the good part of a person, maybe assuming that they didn't mean something mean or bad. Maybe they're just having a moment or a problematic time in their life. So the whole idea here is to... You know, practice when you have something happen to you, pay attention to what is the first thought that comes into your mind. And if it's a negative thing, like that person's a jerk, or, you know, I don't appreciate this, and you get offended really easily. Maybe you need to step back and think, okay, maybe that person's having a really bad day today and something terrible happened and they're not even, they're oblivious to the fact that they just cut in front of me. Or maybe my mother-in-law is very concerned, but is just not expressing it in a way that's helpful. And sometimes I can just say, thank you for that input. And, you know, we're doing the best we can. So I think the whole point of this is, is that if you give people some grace, and you try to think on the positive and you stay more hopeful with people your mood is going to improve and you're probably going to be exercising more of what scripture says which is showing love and compassion towards your neighbor and that's something we can all work on including myself
0: yeah so good i um uh, my note on this that i wrote in the margin was be a second thought person like my first yeah, thought probably like probably needs to be captured by christ <clears throat> yeah um because i probably you know need to give time and attention to a second thought. And then I just wrote, I'm so glad God has given me a second thought every time. (laughs) Ah, That was a better title. I should retitle my article that. You can have it, you can steal it. I'm not going to use it again. So there you go. Um, Yeah. So uh, here's to second thoughts today. How's that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> All right. Linda, thank you so much. You're um, you're always so generous with your time. We love what you write. You guys can visit with Linda at drlindamental.com, and you can listen to her here on the Faith Radio Network. She has a show. It's called the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. We're going to bring uh, Sarah Zylstra on here in just a moment from the Gospel Coalition. Um, She has a couple of pieces posted there at their website talking about the um, experience and viewpoint of Christians on both sides of the border over the past year um, related to the war in Ukraine. So we're going to talk with Sarah about that. But I have a question for you, and I would love your Response to this question on the text line, if you would be so willing to share it um, again, the text line is eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Does your local church um, use a discipleship model of a particular kind like you um you know there's a process of discipleship at your church and you know what it is, and people move through it uh, to not only be discipled but to become disciple makers. Do you have a disciple making process? In your church? Have you experienced a disciple making process at church? I would love to know about that. So you can either text me at 877 933 2484 or you can email me, Carmen at myfaithradio.com. What has been your experience of intentional discipleship? I'd I'd love to know more about that. Sarah Zylstra is going to join us next. Let's hear about what Christians are saying on both sides of the border over the past year of the war in Ukraine. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Sarah Zylstra is joining us. You can find what she's writing at thegospelcoalition.org, and I'll drop the links for the articles we're talking about today in the show notes. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We're going to look at um, two perspectives here. Um, the, the perspective from the Russian side of the border, uh, conversation with Christians on that side, and then conversations with Christians on the Ukrainian side of the border. So why don't you take us first um, to the Russian side of things? Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. So I uh, know a pastor in Moscow who has a super faithful church, um, preaches the gospel. And I, I asked him, What has this last year been like for you? Um, and the f- the first and the biggest emotion that I came across is just the heartbreak of it because Russia and Ma- there's not a ton of Christians in Russia. There's, n- there are Christians in Ukraine, but not a million of them. And so they're, those two cultures are super close. And so they do a lot together. They're like, very, like brothers in the faith, very much a um, lot of cooperation, a um, lot of exchanges there. And so when this happened, it was just a heartbreak um, for him in Russia. It just, he just wept and wept. Um, you know, it's just the hardest thing. And then after that came, a. Re- there was a wave of refugees that came from Ukraine through Moscow. If you were on that, that front line there, and there might not be a, a path for you to escape through Ukraine. So a lot of them went out the back door basically through Moscow and then from there into other countries in Europe. And so the, his church was doing a lot of helping with that. But the trouble with that was that, of course, you remember at the beginning when the, the Western banks shut down all the financial transactions with Russia or many of them. And so very quickly, any support they could get from outside the country dried up. As you remember, country uh, companies also were pulling out of Russia. So people were losing their jobs. So their economic situation has been really difficult um but they still did their best that they could to get these refugees through and then since then they have just been preaching the gospel um helping as much as they can wrestling through things like when um when Putin's uh, called for the conscription back in September that um a certain number of russian men would ha- be forced to serve in the military um, imagine, right? The men in your church and what are you supposed to do with that? If you don't feel you can morally do this, do you run and leave the country? Do you wait and hope that you're not the one that gets tapped for service or do you obey your government? Um, there are so many questions that they are wrestling through. Um, it's hard to be in a country that's taking action that you, that you're violently opposed to.
0: I was going to read people one paragraph from um, early in your piece, Sarah. It's been one mm-hmm. year since, uh, since you know, the beginning. And when you talk about what they were doing at the beginning, um, it wasn't just helping people get to the border. It was helping people who wanted to stay in Russia and who mm-hmm. were Ukrainian figure out uh, how to do that as well. Um, then here's this paragraph, uh, the hardest year of ministry. On top of anxiety and helping refugees, he's felt pressure from the surrounding society, hate from people from outside and inside Russia, financial strain, and the stress of a large congregation whose members were all affected differently by the events taking place. Um, talk a little bit about um, the things that he told you in terms of what the people in his congregation are experiencing, because even just within the church, there's there's a lot of diversity of experience.
1: Yeah. So he's got probably four hundred members that are solid, you know, have been for a while, and then he's getting two to three hundred visitors each week. So on top of his regular congregation, you've got all these new people also that they're trying to witness to um, and who are joining the church in droves. And so you've got, first of all, a huge variety in spiritual maturity. And then you've got people, he's got some mothers in his congregation where their husbands are fighting in the Russian army. He's got some mothers in his congregation where their husbands fled the country to avoid fighting in the Russian army. He's got people in his church who work for the government. He's got people in his church who are really opposed to everything that the government does. Um, As you can imagine, there's people even in the same family um, in his church who are on different sides of supporting or opposing this military action. Um, and so he is just he probably he said I we probably have um, you know, people who are checking on us from the government. Maybe you would call them spies, right? Who would just come and make sure that what he's saying is appropriate or what they would consider appropriate. Um and so he's gotta be so careful and he's just got, you know, I was thinking, boy, we're complaining about having Republicans and Democrats in one congregation and how that stirs things up. But this just takes it to a whole nother level of um, boy, what do you do? And so I asked him that, like, what do you do? Well, how do you possibly manage to hold all that together? Um, and he said, just the center holds, right? He said, I preach the gospel. All I just preach the Bible, preach the Bible. Like if you just stay preaching the gospel and the Bible, um, that's, that's a pretty narrow path for you to walk, but that's you can, you can make it if you walk that path.
0: Yeah, you say this. Um, these are these are quotes from the pastor. Conflicts within the church have been very painful. Probably the most painful thing to see brothers and sisters who love and minister with each other start to lose each other. He understands why it's natural for people um, to judge everything through their own context and conscience, but it doesn't make it any easier as a pastor. Um, they're also baptizing a lot of people. Like, this has been—it's um, a strange experience, I think, for— Well, maybe not strange in terms of church history and what we know from it, um, but strange maybe in contemporary cultural um, experience, they are experiencing growth and conversion. Mm -hmm.
1: I think, you know, he said a lot of it is they're so close to death now, right? Like you send your son off to war, there's no guarantee he's coming back. Um And so when you walk so close to it, I think it just makes people think, it just shakes you up. It makes people think again, like what are we doing here? What's our purpose? Is there a life after this? Um, ask those deeper and bigger questions. And so a lot of people these days in Russia, not everybody, but a lot of them are asking those questions and are finding the church through that. And it, his church is doing great, but he said it's not the only one. As he looks around at other gospel preaching churches, he's in a network of a, of a couple hundred of them. Um, and he said, I see this in other churches as well. So, um, so there is, there's light in the darkness and it is pretty dark there, but there is spots of light where the spirit of God is clearly at work.
0: Pronounced his name for us, the pastor. Yeah, Evgeny Batmutsky. Batmutsky. Evgeny
1: is his first name, Batmutsky. Um, mm-hmm.
0: So I loved the portion. And again, we're talking with Sarah Zylstra. Um, the piece is posted at thegospelcoalition.org. The title um, of the article, I got to scroll back up to the top to read the title. <laughs> One year later, Moscow pastor says, I know God is going to judge us all. Um, Sarah, I love um, the testimony um, comes kind of late in, in the piece where he talks about being more Christian than Russian and hearing his American uh, brothers respond to him with "we we are we are more Christian than American." Um, it has to be very very difficult in the midst of all of this to you know to hear the rhetoric out of the United States of, the, of America, um, particularly when Russians are uh, cast as you know all one. Um, right. you know, of a cloth. And um, that's not what's going on here. And that that was a really helpful part of uh, of this piece for me. So can you um, spend a little time highlighting that, this more Christian than Russian or more Christian than American?
1: Yeah, I love that part too. Um, and, and I think you're right, there is diversity of opinion in Russia. In fact, I'd say there's a, when I talk to him, it sounds like there's a split between there's the government which is really running this operation here. And then there's the populace, which really has no say. Remember, they don't really even have free elections. Um, so they do hold elections, and I'm putting quote marks around that. But when Putin wins Yeah, we by saw like those air quotes. We saw those air yeah. quotes.
0: We, <laughs> yes. saw that. we saw that over the radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So really what that means
1: is they don't get a choice. Like none of them have a voice even in electing the people who would make these decisions, much less making these decisions. Um, And so I think a lot of them are just have their heads down and they're just trying to live through the day, um, which is what most people are doing all over the world, is just trying to live their lives through the day. Um, They're not thrilled about this either. Um, And the demonstrations that we see in our media, certainly there are some people who are rapidly in support of this. Um, But I don't think that's most, you know, that we do that with our media too, right? Like if there's a protest, um, you just talk to the people who are the loudest. And so I think that's what's happening there too. So there's definitely a a variety of opinions. Um, Yeah. I think that was, he felt was feeling super lonely at that time when he went to the T4G conference, it had just been going for a couple of months. And I think he was just feeling really isolated. Um, So to hear from your brothers, like, Hey, we're, we're with you in the Lord. Like we're, we're all Christians first. Um, we're brothers first. We're part of one body. We're part of Christ's church. And then after that um, comes our national distinctions.
0: Mm. Sarah's going to yeah. take us across the border into Ukraine next. Um, this piece also posted at thegospelcoalition.org. One year later, Christians in Ukraine say, we wouldn't want to be anywhere else. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio's social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Sarah Zalstra from The Gospel Coalition. You can read what we're talking about at thegospelcoalition.org. I'll put the links in the show notes for today. Um, You have shared with us the perspective from a pastor in Moscow. Let's um, talk now about what you're hearing from Christians in Ukraine.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's a hard story to tell. Um, It's hard to have your, you know, your land invaded. Our TTC editor in Ukraine um, last fall, her boyfriend was in the army and last fall she was texting him and she'd been texting him for a few days and not hearing him back. And she's like, well, that's probably, you know, the internet connections are broken and it's just, you know, it's hard to not always, the cell phone service doesn't always work. Um, but then eventually his friend called and said, you've got to stop texting him because he's been killed in action. Um, and she just spiraled down into, you know, they're young, planning to get married, um, just spiraled into this deep pit of despair and sadness. She lives really close to Kiev, so her neighborhood was filled with tanks, um, especially at the beginning of the war. She's Her house has been, um, she's got big holes in the foundation of her house, and the windows are blown out. It's just been such a, a tragic year for her. Um, and she, I was talking to her about that, like, how did you make this through? And she's like, I didn't for like five or six weeks i was just could hardly get out of bed couldn't eat couldn't sleep um desperate you know like starting to think things like well the cast it was a closed casket funeral is he really in there like all the questions that you ask yourself when you start to get a little bit crazy from your grief and she said one day i was just the one thing she kept doing though is translating articles for tgc and she translates other christian books as well and she said one day i just um, went to bed. I cried and cried. And I said, Lord, please give me your peace and your joy because I just can't keep going on like this. Cried herself to sleep and woke up and she could just feel this sense in her spirit, like God is with me. She had that peace and that joy. She could get out of bed the next day. And she's had it ever since. And it's been a couple months now. So she's like, I felt like the Lord gave my life back to me. Um, So that's just one example of the ways, like even in individual lives of deep grief and sadness, the Lord is there Working and moving, um we also see him, you know the, hey can the I churches, oh yes. can God. I read,
0: can I read a couple of paragraphs related yeah. to that because it's it's just so good um, <clears throat> she didn't tell her friends at church because it hurt too much to talk about. Um, she knew they were struggling with the same thing. four of her church members had been killed in action and another fourteen, actively serving in the military, and then there's this quote one day when I no longer had the strength to endure what was going on inside of me, I prayed, asking God for all that love and peace and comfort that he had for me. She fell asleep in tears and woke up renewed and felt like a miracle. Uh, And then you quote her uh, here, "'Often in difficult situations, we pay attention only to the pain this world has given us. We forget to look at Christ, who knew from the beginning of the centuries this pain would be in our lives.'" he has already prepared comfort for us precisely for these situations it's just a um it's a beautiful beautiful testimony um sarah and i just again want to you know thank you for bringing it to us other um other things from this piece that you want to share
1: boy there's just a you know once it looks so dark but once you start looking closer uh, you know, you're seeing more good from this. So Ukraine has sort of been the Bible Belt um, after the Soviet Union broke apart, and missionaries could come in. They really grasped onto the gospel, probably the the be- I guess the best of all those former Soviet countries. So they have the most churches and the most seminaries, and they're the farthest along um, in their spiritual maturity. And so um, when Russia pushed in from one side. A lot of them fled out the other side to the, or the other sides to the other countries around them. And I talked to um, a Ukrainian who is in Poland. He was actually a missionary there even before the war. And he said, I don't know a church in Poland that doesn't have a Ukrainian family in it now. He said, mm-hmm. Our, before we had barely had any evangelical presence at all, there, it was just very dark here. And now he said, it's just, this could change the whole landscape of Christianity in these other countries because it's just like it got a fresh infusion um, of people who love the Lord, which just, you know, it reminds me a little bit of um, when Mark Driscoll's church fell apart. Um, Mars Hill, and I talked. I went there two years later to talk to the churches around there, and they, it was just like um, those people had been faithfully taught. They they loved the Lord, and so when that church fell apart, they just scattered to all the church other local gospel preaching churches that were around there. And it's just like a fresh infusion of Christianity and of faith inside those places. And it feels a little bit like this too, like when there's a pressing oppressing pressing down and Christianity comes spreading out. So there's something beautiful to that, even in the hardship of it.
0: Yeah. Having um, Ukrainian refugees uh, in your congregation changes things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Without question. Uh, it changes the way you think about yourself and the things you have and how you might use what you have to, um, to bless and improve the life of another 8 million Ukrainians are spread across uh, Europe right now. Um, and, a, and a couple hundred thousand of them here in the United States if you are blessed to have a Ukrainian family in your church um, then you know uh, then you know of what we speak um, what else in here do you want to um, highlight Sarah we probably have I mean there's so many stories in this article but we probably have time for you to share one more um,
1: let's talk a little bit so another thing that's happening is there's um, there's seminaries that are that are operating good seminaries that are operating in Kiev um, and in Odessa and the the enrollment there—they have just seen almost double. What they did was that one seminary that I talked to—they started. They said, "We know we can't offer. You know, it's hard for your head to get in a good space where you can um, take a full master's degree or a full bachelor's degree, even." But so they started offering one-year programs, and they said, "We have just seen a tremendous interest in that. They are seeing a lot of conversions. Same sort of thing that's happening in Russia, right? When there is when you're living so close to death." There is just something sobering about that, and that is bringing people to the church. Also, there's a lot of um, humanitarian work that the church is doing. Um, so if you know a missionary who's in Ukraine doing that, send them some funds because when they're handing out uh, – so their electricity has been down. I don't know if you've heard about this, but they, their Russia has been targeting their electricity and their gas. Like 40% of their electricity is out. And so that means that only they only get electricity for a couple of hours a day. Well, their weather is like – I don't know, (laughs) Michigan. So it's freezing there. um, And they are, so to send, to be able to hand out blankets and food Mm -hmm. and water, um, and along with that, the gospel has been a really powerful thing that's going on, um, even in those tough areas
0: yeah, I like the uh, the story in here about the, you know, my grandma uh, squirrels away some grain and that meant we had bread and bread to share and that gave us a testimony and on and on and on. There's so many good stories in here. So I commend, uh, I commend these articles to you. Again, you can find them at thegospelcoalition.org. I'll put the links in the show notes today. Um, we've been talking with Sarah Zylstra one year later, what's happening on both sides of the border in terms of uh, living as Christians, both in russia and in ukraine sarah as always thank you so much for joining us
1: thank you for having me
0: just a delight that's sarah Zalstra. you're listening to mornings with carmen i'm carmen laburge this is faith radio and the
1: way of is the of peace is
0: all right i've been thinking a lot about um wisdom and how we arrive at the place where someone else would regard us as wise. Like, right, it's not just, you know, oh, you got to wait until your hair is gray or it falls out, right? So you have heard of a person being referred to or described as wise beyond their years. Um, that's because wisdom doesn't just come with the passing of years on the calendar. It's not just about age, um, it comes with the spirit of God. When a person is born again to a living hope in Jesus Christ, they are possessed of the Holy spirit and they grow. One of the ways that they grow is in wisdom. David, uh, notes that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so let's be sure that we are people who rightly fear the Lord. We regard God's holiness and we are awed by it. Um, David would have certainly been taught through both word and deed, um, or he would have taught this truth to his son Solomon. And so Solomon literally has every advantage, including a father who was a man after God's own heart. And Solomon was described as what? A man of wisdom. But Solomon was also a man of great folly. And so how can that be? How can a person so wise trifle with every other variety of human idea? Which leads us to the end of Ecclesiastes and the concluding verses there. And I just want to read verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Yeah, and in this is wisdom. In this is wisdom. Let us seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let us be seekers today of God and find not only God, but God's goodness and yes, God's wisdom. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.